Gina Della from Pella. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. So, Mike Spalding, before you leave, did you watch any of the World Series last night? No. You did not. I did not. Uh, did you hear the story about what happened to the Atlanta Braves pitcher, though? Yeah, I did. I did read all about that. This is one of the. It is see one of the things I love about like watching or attending live sporting events is stuff happens. I mean, a lot of times just games go according to Hoyle and things like that. But every once in a while, there, there's these things that happen that you've you've never seen before and just are are amazing. And, and this is the story for people who weren't following it. Uh, Charlie Morton was the brave starter who kind of ate up the uh, Brewers in in that initial in the initial series where the Brewers lost. So he. He's the starting pitcher for Atlanta against Houston last night. And in the, the second inning, one of the guys that's batting hits a line drive straight back at the mound that hits him in the, like the right, the right leg. All right. And it, it, the, they said that the velocity was like 102 miles an hour with a baseball. Hits him in the right leg. He, he shakes it off, goes on. Pitches to two more people, get an out, gets an out, comes back in the next inning, the third inning, strikes out a guy, and then starts limping, kind of limps off. Turns out he has a broken uh, fibula, which is the, the calf bone. You know, and he broke he broke his fibula, the the bone by your calf, and he pitched to another three guys. The legend of Charlie Morton starts like now well right? yeah I, I mean it's 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 kind of like years and years ago people remember there was you know a pitcher at the time for the boston red sox i believe you know kurt schilling mm-hmm. and you know had the, the bloody sock and stuff his foot is bleeding and he's you know he's playing through this the guy pitched to three batters on on a broken fibula the broken calf bone and got him out i'm saying pitched well it was yeah. you know it, it didn't look like he had many signs of of injury up until you mentioned when he started kind of limping around after the last out well, well right yeah and so he strikes out it was funny because he, come, he comes back you know and it, it's not even like adrenaline you know you, you you power through the second inning and but then you sit in the dugout for 10 minutes you come back so you're a little bit cold and and he strikes out the first guy and then you could just see after he struck him out he's kind of limping around and there's something really bad wrong but he he broke uh, again, part of his leg, essentially, and he struck three people out. It, it's one of the amazing things about watching sports because you go, man, I, that that was an incredible performance to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I hearkened back to uh, in the NBA playoffs with the Giannis injury. Do you remember right. the day after it was like the grimmest day of all time in oh, Milwaukee? Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously comes back and plays and, and it plays well. That's all, that's what I was exactly thinking about last night, reading about the Braves game. Right. Just, just absolutely right. I mean, you're exactly right. I remember that when, when Giannis went down, everybody thinks, okay, well, he screwed up his knee. And the question is, is he going to be ready not, not to play in the next game, not to play in the next series, but, you know, what's going to happen? Is he, you know, is he going to be back before Christmas time? And, and he's back in two days. It's amazing. Amazing what these athletes do. But that, that was the, the story. And of course, 
as everybody knows, I'm pulling for the, the Braves. I think the Houston Astros are nothing but a bunch of lousy cheaters, and the I, I think they deserve to lose, plus the irony of Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. The, the, the perfect scenario to me, Mike Spaulding, would be if the Braves win in four or five games because that would be the, the the trophy ceremony would be in Atlanta and I can picture the commissioner of baseball who pulled the all-star game from Atlanta because of his politically correct opinion that he didn't like the Georgia new Georgia voting laws even though the Georgia voting laws are, are less restrictive in some cases than New York, where Major League Baseball is headquartered and where uh, Manfred lives. I just think it would be sweet irony if Manfred had to come down to Atlanta and give them the trophy. Not only that, but I feel like the Astros, I know there were suspensions and stuff like that after the, the cheating scandal. Yeah, but, they, but still got, they still got to keep the World Series trophy. They got to keep the trophy, and the year after was the COVID-affected year, so there weren't fans. I feel like I'm with you. I'm rooting for the Braves because I feel like the Astros didn't suffer enough from because they got off with not having many fans or if any fans at all in that first season. So I'm rooting for the Braves. With Good. I just I just think they're cheaters, you know, period, you know, and I just, they're, they're cheaters and and they will they will go down in history as cheaters. And and yeah, I understand that some of the people who cheated are gone, but still, that's how I feel. In any event, it was an amazing experience. OK, let us get started in the city of Milwaukee on any given day. There are about 30 cars on average that are stolen, about. I mean, the statistics are, are, it's just incredible. Let me see. I've got the most recent numbers. Year to date, motor vehicle theft, year to date, 8,675 cars have been stolen. Um, To give you perspective, same time last year, 3,215. I mean, it's just it it is staggering, and we've talked about the causes. You got people and and the, the lack of accountability, and and truthfully, I mean, I I understand your car gets stolen, you call the cops to report it, and uh, unless you were carjacked at gunpoint, you know, good luck getting anybody to come out and and conduct an active investigation. Good luck getting anybody to try to investigate and determine what happened to your car, unless. You know, your car is stolen and it's used in a high-speed chase and somebody blows through a red light and hits and kills somebody. Well, then then maybe you get police attention. And I'm not faulting the cops. There, there's so many cars that are stolen and there's so many other things that are going on, homicides out of control and rapes and robberies and everything else. I get it. They, they just don't have enough resources to deal with the, the stolen car thing. But that doesn't change the fact that your car has been stolen. And yes, I understand that you can make an insurance claim and you can wait some time and, and, you know, if they don't find your car, you know, maybe you'll be able to, you know, get some sort of insurance settlement. You'll have to pony up some more money probably to buy a new car or whatever. But there's an incredible inconvenience, not to mention the, the violation of your privacy. Somebody has stolen your car and that's happened with 8,675 vehicles just in the city of Milwaukee. All right. There's an interesting story that caught my attention that's out. Uh, the L.A. Times had this, but I think it's you see it elsewhere as well. The One of the things that's out there now is that for people who, for example, invest in Bluetooth technology, what you find is you may be able to track your car y- yourself. 
for example, there's this thing called, you know, AirTags. And, you know, Apple has released it, $29 AirTags, which is an effective brand of, of Bluetooth, Bluetooth tracking technology. Samsung and other brands also, you know, have, have these sorts of things where, you know, you can, you can put one of these AirTags, you know, in, in your, in your car. You can put it in the trunk. You can put it in your wheel well. And so if your car gets stolen, you know, you're going to be able to at least theoretically track it. You know, you'll be able to check and find out where that car is. So this is raising this huge question that's out there. Your car is stolen. You call the police. You say to the cops, my car was stolen. They say, well, we're very sorry about that. Unfortunately, we're too busy to send out anybody, you know. So what you can do is you can come down at your convenience and you can fill out a police report and we'll put it in the file. And, you know, if your car happens to turn up, if we find it stripped in an alley somewhere, you know, we'll we'll call you and, and let you know. But don't expect the police to be aggressively going out and trying to find stolen cars because there's so many cars that are stolen in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee that they don't have the chance to do it. So here's the scenario. You take one of these air tags, you take this Bluetooth technology, you put that somewhere in your vehicle. Your car is then subsequently stolen. So, okay, you find out where it is. You say, hey, I see that my car is on the corner of 7th and it's parked outside an apartment building outside of 7th and, and whatever. Well, again, you, you call the police, and I'm sure the police are going to say, well, okay, you know, maybe maybe we can send somebody out there in a few hours, but we've got people tracking down murders and reckless drivers and things like that. And you say, well, wait, the thing is, I, I know where my car is right now. I, I You know, I, if, if we're not there right away, um, that car is probably going to be driven off or something's going to happen to it. And by the way, maybe this gives us a chance to catch the people who stole it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's, here is my question. Would you put something like that in your car so that if it were stolen, would you be willing to go back and try to repossess it yourself? Or would this be a situation where I don't want to get involved? I don't know what I'm walking into. Just kind of let it go. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it vigilantism to go try to retrieve your car after it has been stolen? Is it irresponsible to do it because the technology is out there now that, you know, you're going to be able potentially to track where your car is? Would you go out and try to get that car back? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or do we just leave it to the police? And the truth is, if you leave it to the police, probably nothing's going to happen. No knock on the cops. They're too busy. What would you do? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For about $30, you can buy what's something called an AirTag from, from Apple. And what that does is... They, they don't advertise it for this purpose, but lots of people are using it. For example, you could take one of these air tags and you could put it in your car, put it in the wheel well of your car, or whatever. If your car gets stolen, you know, you would, once this thing updates, you would, it's kind of like the, the feature that you can put on like your phone, like about find my iPhone. For example, my wife and I have our respective iPhones on each other's phone. So if she wants to know where I am, she can just simply 
go to that app and she can track down and see exactly, you know, where at least where my iPhone is. And she knows and has an idea of doing that. And we use it just to make sure everybody's okay. Well, you could put this AirTag in your car. Your car gets stolen and, you know, you, you'll get pinged and you can figure out, hey, this is where my car is. Well, now what they're finding is that some people recognizing that so many cars are stolen that if you call the cops there, you know, maybe they'll get to it in a few hours if that. Um, now some people are deciding to use a little bit of self-help and go and retrieve their vehicles. Would you do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Jerry in Port Washington. Hi, Jerry. Hi there. Um, I did have my vehicle stolen. Um, it was over on the east side. This was a couple of years ago. Um, luckily, I had OnStar. Um, but the police were there very shortly after the vehicle was stolen. Uh, OnStar located the vehicle but uh, and called us to advise us as such. Um, but they proceeded to say they would not disclose the location, basically because, no, your car is a crime scene. And they felt it was still dangerous that the people could be mm-hmm. looking close at hand. Sure. So the bottom line is when we did finally get the car recovered by the police, and that would have been um, 2 in the morning because it was a Friday night and car theft is kind of the low end of the totem pole sure. once it's located um, on Friday. But uh, it would have been, I think, dangerous for us to go out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as it was, I was visiting grandson and um, with the two grandsons, I would not have put them in that kind of danger to go pick up that vehicle. Right. If the, and, and what it just and I assume that would have been your opinion. Regard, what if the police had said, well, you know, we're, we're really busy tonight. We've got all this stuff going on, and, and we're just not going to be able to, thanks to the information, we're not going to be able to send anybody out in the next 12 hours or so. You would have let it go. I guess I had the comfort of knowing that OnStar was watching it. If the vehicle had started to move, you know, they would have noted it, because um, that was my my concern. I said, how do you know it's not going to be up on a, a flatbed hidden out of state? Right. Um, and they said, no, no, we have it locked in. So, um, But uh, when I did recover the vehicle, the inside, um, as the officer called and said, uh, um, bring a mask or something because... Yeah. And they had been. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> smoking marijuana. Yeah, they, 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 among other things. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. Who, who, and who knows what else were they doing in there? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And see, this is what I find about interesting conversation because the technology is such that now you can engage in self-help if you choose to. Now, Apple isn't marketing these like air tags as something that you can use to recover crime stuff. And I think the general response you would get from a police department is, well, well let us handle it. Of course, the problem is, and again, this isn't a knock on the police. There's just, it's a, it's a low priority. Trying to find your stolen car, if it hasn't been used in other crimes or isn't being driven at 85 miles an hour through red lights, is probably an extremely low priority. And I understand that. And plus the frustration the cops have, as we've talked about this regularly, is even if they catch the car thief, if it's Milwaukee County, almost nothing's going to happen to them anyway. So it becomes a low priority thing. But if your car, would you use this technology to try to go out and, and get your car back? John in Menominee Falls. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Thanks, Jeff. Sure. Um, I think the previous caller kind of hit the nail on the head uh, that uh, it'd be crazy for somebody to try and retrieve a car. 
how many police officers are involved in high-speed chases, how many police officers are involved in shootouts at the, at the end of those uh, high-speed chases, and now we're going to have a citizen without any professional training on how to handle those things trying to retrieve a car, and most likely the individuals that have it aren't going to be real anxious to give it up. Mm-hmm. Well, what if it's a scenario where you get, all right, you, you find out that you, you know where your car is. Your car is outside an apartment building on 5th and whatever. So you drive down there, and you see the car parked in front of the building. There, there's nobody around. You've got your spare set of keys. So it's not like you think that you're going to get into a confrontation. You've got your spare set of keys. Do you jump in and drive it off, or or do you just, I mean, just let it go? Well, there's two considerations at that point. If you've reported the car stolen, now you're driving a stolen vehicle. Yeah. And the other one is you you can drive off, but I wouldn't go into any part of the city, particularly where these cars end up, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's not safe. What about 10 o'clock in the morning? Same thing? Same thing, because then you've got more chance of being seen that you're taking the car back. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I just no, think I, no gonna... I, I understand. No, thanks. And again, I, I just, if you talk to the police, they would probably tell you, let us handle it. Of course, the problem is that that doesn't happen. As you know, That doesn't happen very often. And in many cases, it doesn't happen in a timely fashion. I understand our first caller said, well, and, and I don't know where her car was stolen from, but she was able to get a, a quick police response. And my guess is maybe... It's different if you're living, she was calling from Port Washington, just for the sake of argument. Maybe it's different if you're living in Port Washington than if you're in Milwaukee, where you have an average of 30 cars stolen a day. I, I Look, if you're asking me, Jeff, what would you do? And I know I, I can hear my wife's voice in the back. She said, there's no way that I would let you you know, drive into you know, a high-crime neighborhood in Milwaukee to try to get the car back. That's what the cops are for, and that's what you have insurance for. I, I understand that. But at the same time, this technology is there. It would, have to be, it would have to be tempting. James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, depends on how how much you want your how much you need your car and how much you want your car. Uh, is your car new or is your car old? If it's old and uh, and you don't uh, don't uh, care about it, uh, probably let the police do it. If it's brand new uh, and uh, you need it for work or for other the business or anything else, yeah, I'd probably go after it. Probably take the chance and depending on the area and everything else. Come on, Jeff. We. You know, you gotta, as you say, get a get a helmet and, uh, well, and all this other stuff. Well, uh, well, to say, I mean, James, thanks. At the same time, I say life is tough. Get a helmet. I, I'm I'm not saying get a helmet. You know, put on body armor and risk your life necessarily to take back your car. But I, I am. I mean, I understand this temptation that's out there. And, and this, see, I bring this up because we're going to hear more stories about this especially with these car thefts, as many as they are, with this technology. Our first caller was talking about OnStar. But, you know, for $29, you can get one of these Apple AirTags. Now, they don't recommend it for this use, but you know more and more people are going to be sick of being victims. You know, they're going to, their car is stolen. They're going to get a report as to where it is. Now, I'm not saying you go up to six gangbangers, you know, and confront them to take the car back. But, you know, you, you drive over there with your buddy. You see your car there. You've got the spare set of keys. Do you take it back? And I think 
think, you know, this is one of the realities. More and more people are going to do that. And there will be instances where, you know, there's going to be confrontations, which is all the more reason, if we can circle back to the big point, it's why things like car theft are a big deal. It's why we need to get serious with it. And it's why the DA's office and the court system needs to wake up and start holding car thieves accountable. Because the more this goes on, I'm afraid that people are going to start taking this, this, we're going to repossess this into our own hands, and it's going to lead to more problems. The best way to stop this is to stop the thieves and punish them when you catch them in the first place. Why is that so hard? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Ridgetop Exteriors. And by the way, this is the last week for the Fall Home Improvement Showcase. We will be back with another Home Improvement Showcase next spring. In any event, Ridgetop Exteriors specializes in roofing, siding, and windows. Do not miss out on the Ridgetop Advantage. Contact Ridgetop Exteriors today. Give them a call at 414-244-9416 or visit them at Ridgetop Exteriors, MKE.com. Here's just before we move on from the sort of self-help if your car is stolen. Jeff, my friend Steve found uh, the stolen his stolen car show up in a garage a few miles away in a not-so-good neighborhood via AirTag. He went over early in the morning, went in the garage, started the car, and drove it home. Um, yeah, Jeff, I know I'm late to the story, but if you have a Ford with the sync system and you have the Ford Pass app, you can see where your car is. Well, see, and this is, again, the bigger point here is, do I think it's a good idea for citizens to go and, and take their cars back? No, it, it's not. But the bigger point is, is this technology becomes more and more available and the police are just, again, it's not a criticism of the police, but because the car theft becomes a low priority with them, I think, you know, more and more people are going to be tempted to do this, which is why car theft needs to be a greater priority. And when you catch the car thieves, you need to send them to jail for a long time. Speaking of sending people to jail, I, we started the program yesterday with, with this story of just completely and totally senseless vandalism. Um, if you hadn't heard it, Sunday night into Monday morning, you had vandals, people in two separate cars, because they've got surveillance video of this, two cars wearing hoodies and masks who destroyed more than 50 vehicles in Brown Deer. Now, by destroyed, I mean what they did is they pulled into parking lots, they broke into cars along North Green Bay and West Brown Deer Roads, residential parking lots and the the parking lot of, of a shopping center. What they did is these were cars that were just parked. They think it happened around 5 in the morning, so it was still dark. So you had... About 50 cars that had their their windows, their passenger side windows caved in. So people showed up either with like crowbars or baseball bats or whatever, caved in the passenger side windows, and then went in and kind of ransacked the cars, went through the glove compartments, went through the center consoles. But, but the motivation does not appear to have been 
theft per se. I mean, I guess if they found money in there, they would have taken it. But because when the cops went back, they, they found that there was all sorts of valuables that were in the glove compartment or in the center console that, that were not stolen. So the, the point of this was apparently we're just going to see how much destruction we can we can cause in a quick period of time. And in this case, handful of people, you know, were able to break the windows and cause damage. And I mean, I, my, my guess is probably a thousand bucks. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to replace that, that side window and the damage it's done, but probably at least a thousand bucks, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more, depending on the car, but 50 separate cars. And right now the Brown Deer police are, they're investigating it and whether they catch the people or not, I, I, I don't know. But I, I was talking about this story and the senseless, just the, the senseless vandalism. And I mean, and all crime is senseless. But in this particular case, it, it's not a crime of opportunity. It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm breaking into this car to, to steal it because I want to use it for a joyride or I want to take it to a chop shop or I want to use it for another crime. This is let's go out and see how much damage we can do to other people's property just solely for the sake of destroying other people's property. It is that that senseless vandalism. So I, I, I told the story, and I didn't open up the phone lines, but I was stunned because I got a number of texts yesterday from people saying, Jeff, you don't understand. This is one of the big undercover stories in, in the area. It's not just 50 cars Sunday night into Monday morning in, in Brown Deer. This is something that, that's going on all over the area, people breaking car windows and just essentially for vandalizing things for vandalism's sake. Now, some people were suggesting that maybe this is the latest gang initiation. you got to go out and destroy a bunch of property. But I'm getting the idea that this happens more than we know. Now, I understand why this doesn't necessarily get a lot of attention, because given all the other serious crime and the murders and the reckless driving, it's not if, – if you have – I don't know, three or four people in a city block that have their cars broken into in this fashion and destroyed, it's not necessarily going to get a lot of attention. The reason this is getting attention is it's 50. It's 50 in in a neighborhood, in a shopping center, you know, in Brown Deer. So that gets people's attention. But but my sense is this is happening more and more. I want to open up the phone lines, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What What is going on here? What do you think is the motivation? Why are people doing this? And do you agree with my premise that this is probably much more widespread than we're thinking about, you know, throughout this area? Just the, the senseless vandalism, the destroying other people's property just for the pure, I don't know, thrill of destroying other people's property. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But it really, I think, does kind of highlight that this this issue that's out there that, you know, if, if, you, if you don't have a garage, and you don't have a garage that's pretty much secured in some way, shape, or form, you know, be almost be prepared to be a victim between the cars being stolen at a rate of 28, 29, 30 a day and th- this sort of, just vandalism that is out there, again, for the sake of vandalism, it, it tells me that, you know, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens, especially in this area, you are more and more likely just to, you know, you're setting yourself up to be a victim. 855-616-1620, what's going on here? We discuss in a minute, and if you have been a victim of this, 
or know people that have, I would be very interested in talking to you. This is Jeff Wagner, 855-616-1620. Back in a minute. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike in Appleton. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. So I just think, and I don't know if teenagers were featured in the in the story that you're talking about, but I just don't think there's a lot that teenagers have to do these days. I mean, during COVID, we had uh, a bunch of teenagers would hang out at the neighborhood park and. Uh, Right away, the parents got on Facebook, started shaming them for having loud music, and eventually called the cops and had them disperse. It's like, okay, well, these kids are hanging out at a park, using it for what it's intended to, and, and now now they have to leave. You know, what are they going to do? Well, and okay, well, I, let me stop you there, Mike. We're, we're not talking about kids yep. hanging out at a park. We're talking about people, and I, I'm presuming that they're kids too, but, I, you know, putting on masks and going on a rampage where they bust out the windows of of 50 vehicles at 5 o'clock in the morning. That that doesn't strike me as, gee, we, we, we don't have enough to do. I mean, it, it seems to me there's probably a bigger problem. I mean, I don't know about you. It wouldn't occur to me to take a crowbar and, and punch out the window in somebody's car, much less 50 cars. I agree. Uh, again, if it's teenagers, sometimes they don't make great decisions. I'm not saying that is a great decision by any means. And, and there probably are bigger other factors at play as well, but I guess uh, the point I wanted to make is just I just feel like the options for teenagers to do things just isn't much of it anymore. You well, know, they're not playing video games. Well, Mike, you know, they, they, so. I mean, I guess I, I don't. <laughs> I, it's it, it's one thing to say, oh, we 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 gee, isn't it tough to be a teenager nowadays? And and you don't have a lot of stuff to do. It's a far cry between that. And I don't I don't know if I agree with that premise because candidly, there's a lot more stuff I think to occupy your time nowadays um, for for young people now than there were, for example, when when I was was that age. But regardless. I, that, that, that to me, that's not the explanation. The, the idea that oh, gee, we're kind of bored, so I know let's put on masks, let's go out at five o'clock in the morning, let's take crowbars or baseball bats, and let's see how many cars we can vandalize. That's not to me. We we don't know what to do with ourselves. That's we are bad people, and we have no sense, no caring for other people's property and the impulse control of fruit flies. And and yes, when when and maybe I think part of it, this ties into what we were talking about the last segment, part of it is I, I think again if it's juveniles that are doing this, and my guess it is, that that you're going to part of it is that hey, even if we get caught doing this, we don't have to worry because nothing's going to happen to us anyways. We're going to be treated with kid gloves. So give me the crowbar and let's see how many other cars we can cave the doors in on or the windows. Catherine in West Dallas. Catherine, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, so not in this situation, but in the past, we've had cars where windows have been smashed. We have an alley, and actually one weekend, both our cars were parked in the alley, and both cars, the windows were smashed. And the frustrating part with the whole thing was there's a cost to it, right? You have to get the windows fixed, but it took us, like, all day to clean up our cars. You know, we still are shaking glass out of the doors. Right, and how much and, damage? I mean, uh, I mean, how much damage? Five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever. Yeah, probably about. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe five to seven hundred per car. And you know, you <laughs> got to take it. You got yeah. to call the guy to have him come. And I mean, it was. And 
you know, that was our thought the next day. Like, whoever did this, like, I'd like to at least make them come over and clean up my mess. Well, well right. And maybe pay so. for it. And then ask them, why did you, what, what, what motivated right. did you do this? What, what little thrill did you get for, from, you know, damaging know. my property and causing me all this trouble? Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel like a better person? Yeah. I'm with you. No, thanks right. for calling. My thought was more like, just leave me alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, thanks. Jeff, three weeks ago, my wife's car was set on fire in Wauwatosa. My wife's car was one of 17 cars set on fire that night. The person responsible was arrested and released. We just found out she will not be charged by the Milwaukee District Attorney. Apparently, there is no accountability in Milwaukee County. Um, Jeff, what's going on is poverty. Until we alleviate that, there will always be more criminals to take the place of any we lock up. I could not disagree with that more. Okay, it's poverty. Bull. I mean, lots of people grew up in, in quote unquote poverty, however you wanted to describe that. But they didn't make it, they didn't think it was right to take a baseball bat or a crowbar and go break 50 windows in. This has nothing to do with poverty, at least in my opinion. And that's an excuse that you need to get away from. Lots of people, and can I see a show of hands here? You know, maybe you grew up in, okay, your, your, your family wasn't as wealthy as other families or whatever. Maybe you grew up in poverty. My guess is it never occurred to you to wake up one morning, put on a mask, go out with a couple of your low-life buddies, and break in as many windows as you could have, vandalizing stuff for the sake of vandalizing it. I'm sorry, poverty to me is just, it's an excuse and it doesn't apply here. What you have is bad people who need to be held accountable. And I think this goes on, like I say, a lot more than people really believe. A number of people are also texting in and saying, hey, this is happening in their areas, and, and their understanding is it's, a, it's gang initiations. If you want to be a member of a gang, you've got to do out, go out and engage in this, this rampant vandalism. That, I guess, makes as much sense to me as anything. Dustin, West Bend. Dustin, you're on WTMJ. Dustin. Hi, Dustin. Uh, Hey, uh, I was thinking more along along the lines of uh, some some teenagers maybe going along the lines of TikTok because uh-huh. um, even at my brother's workplace a couple uh, a few weeks ago, um, he told me that high schoolers, teenagers, and kids like that they were. Uh, even going into the bathrooms and just stealing stuff out of right that was the latest tiktok challenge yeah dustin thanks that was the latest tiktok challenge now there 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 may be at least something to that i one of the tv stations and i forget which one i I was looking at this on their website they they had a, a video of somebody who was driving recklessly, like the cops tried to pull him over and they circled the squad car and then drove off. And, and they, they posted this up on, I don't know if it was TikTok or something else. I mean, they, they were proud of themselves that here, we've engaged in this reckless driving thing and, and we're so proud that we're going to publicize this. And I, I forget, I honestly forget which TV station had it up on their website. But it, it was this here, look at us, we're being irresponsible and we're really proud of it. I, I, I don't know what this is, but I, I do know... There is a point where I think law-abiding, tax-paying, responsible citizens, I I think we're actually past this point of where people say enough is enough. And whether it's the car thefts or whether it's this type of vandalism, I firmly believe that the political class 
and the law enforcement class. And I'm not talking about the cops, but I'm talking about the court system and the DAs. I think they are way behind where the general public is on this type of stuff. And, and I think I've never been an encourager of vigilantism or stuff. I'm the guy that says, let law enforcement handle it. But more and more, what we're seeing is a judicial system that isn't handling it. It's broken down. It's not holding people accountable. And, and yeah, you got the big things. Hey, you've run through a red light at 90 miles an hour in a stolen car and you've hit and killed somebody. Now you've got to be held accountable. Okay, well... Our caller Catherine talks about, hey, you know, her, her windows are, are broken out and it's five to seven hundred bucks a couple different times. You've got to spend hours and then you've got the money and all that stuff. Average citizens are tired of being victims by the punks and the thugs that are running out on the street. And unless the court system, the judicial system, gets a handle on this, I think you really are going to see an uprising from people. And and I look, and I understand that if, if you read a lot of the popular culture, you've, you've got some DAs that are getting elected that don't want to put anybody in jail, and you've got some politicians that are catering to the criminal class by saying, we don't want to hold people accountable. I firmly believe that is not where the general public is on this stuff and and we need to wake up and that's why I, I mean as I always say no pun intended here I'm a big advocate of broken windows law enforcement you know the little stuff matters now I'm not saying if you've got if you were one of those 50 people that had your windows caved in that that was a little thing it's little in comparison to some of the other crime that's going on but it makes a big difference and my guess is if they don't catch those thugs and punks um, who busted in those cars, those 50 cars, what's going to happen is pretty soon they're going to be carjacking people and it's going to get more serious. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So Mike Spaulding, my question to you during the break was... Have you ever been to North Dakota? My answer was emphatically no. And then you wanted to know why. Yes. Okay. Well, it, it's actually, I, I spent a lot of time in South Dakota when I was younger. And um, to, to give you an idea, people in South Dakota make fun of people in North Dakota because there's like nothing to do. That, that tells you. In, in South Dakota, they mock people in North Dakota. So, um, and, and there, that is, it is true that in North Dakota, you know, you can, I mean, there's Fargo and there's like Bismarck, but there's not too much you know even even when you get to with all due respect even when you get to fargo north dakota there's not that much there there you know and 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 the same sort of thing but yes so you why am i curious about north dakota yeah okay because all right if you haven't ever been to north dakota then you probably have never been to fergus falls minnesota no, I have not. I have not. I've not gone much that way in Minnesota. Well, f- and, and chances are, if you were in Minnesota, you, you wouldn't necessarily say, "Hey, <laughs> let, 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 let's let's go to Fergus Falls here." <laughs> it's 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 the garden spot of Northwest Minnesota. But my next story comes from Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Fergus Falls, Minnesota, is a small community in sort of west central uh, Minnesota. It's about. Two plus hours. I'm sounding like my, my dear friend Jonathan Green. He always used to go into like great detail about where stuff is located. But just to give you some perspective, because it might be relevant for our conversation later on. Very, very small community. It's about two and a half hours northwest of Minneapolis, and it's about an hour southeast of Fargo. So it's closer to Fargo than it is to Minneapolis. So it, it's in kind of the western part of the state. And and in fairness, that's not a very heavily populated part of the state. So we're talking about a small community. 
Now you're looking at like where Fergus Falls is and stuff like that. I, now I'm interested. They have a Home Depot. <laughs> they have a okay, Fer, Fergus Falls has a Home Depot. There's a fleet farm there. Oh, they yes. got a fleet farm. Well, that would make sense. Well, what they don't have anymore is a general surgeon at their one medical facility. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Horak. He was fired two weeks ago. And this is the launching point. Okay, so here's the deal. The guy had been a general surgeon in this small town, Fergus Falls, for 16 years. He'd worked at what I assume is the only hospital in Fergus Falls as a general surgeon. Been there for 16 years. He was fired. Now, why was he fired? Was he fired because he showed up drunk? Was he fired because he was incompetent? Was he fired because patients got upset with him and complained? No, no, no. He was fired because he had the audacity to show up at a school board meeting and argue against the establishment. And I bring this story up, and I'm going to open up the phone lines in just a minute, because th- this is, is one of the things that's going on now. It, it's what I call the, the tyranny of the establishment or the tyranny of the majority. The idea that if you want to stand up and voice an opinion, which, while not irrational, is nevertheless unpopular, you will be canceled. You will be shut down. You will be trashed. And how dare you decide that you want to stand up and argue about a school board and decisions that the school board is making. Of course, we have that playing out here with the recall effort against school board members who... Um, in the view of many people in the community in Mequon-Thienesville, were non-responsive to them. And so these, these groups have decided to do a recall, and now members of the recall group are just getting trashed every way you could possibly imagine in the mainstream media because they had the audacity to stand up and kind of question authority. Well, here's, here's this doctor, Jeffrey Horak. Here is what he did. The school board in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, apparently was had just implemented a mandatory mask policy that where they were going to put into effect for for 10 days because of covid numbers okay so that that the school board says we're going to have a mandatory mask policy we're going to make the kids wear masks and a number of people in the community showed up to voice their objection to that decision and of course we we know that these ma- and I, I don't care I don't care how you feel about the mask rules one way or the other, but we understand that this this plays out, you know, in different communities. Some parents applaud it. Other parents think it's unreasonable, etc. In any event, the doctor, 16 years general surgeon, he shows up at the school board meeting, actually at the request of several people in the community, and he offers his public comments with regard to the mask rule. Um, what he said is he expressed his opinion that it should be the parents' choice whether or not to send their children to school with a mask on. So here the, the guy, he's a surgeon, he comes in and he argues against the mandatory mask rule saying, I think it should be up to the parents as to whether they send their kids to school or not. He said, look, we live in America and this is where freedoms are held close. I am a man who believes individuals have the right to do their research and decide what is best for them and their children when it comes to their health. I don't believe governments or institutions should dictate that. It's a position I've always taken. And when the science doesn't make sense to me, it's hard for me to go along. Okay, so that's what he says. I, I think parents, 
He shows up and says, I think parents should have the right to decide whether their kids go to school with masks or not. Right. He, he doesn't say, if you impose this mask rule, I'm going to go out to your house school board members and I'm going to burn down your, your homes or I'm threatening violence. He just says, hey, look, I've been a doctor in this community for 16 years. I'm not sure I think the science supports this. And I, I think it should be up to the parents. All right. You can agree with him or you can disagree with him. All right. But what happened is after he showed up and voiced that opinion, the medical facility where he worked at fired him for that. We sincerely appreciate Dr. Horak's 16 years of service to our parents and our organizations, and we wish him the best as he transitions his practice from here. They fired him because he had the audacity to show up at a school board meeting and argue, hey, I think parents should be able to decide whether they send their kids to school with masks or not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Last time I checked, this is America, isn't it? And and what is going on with America? And, and, and I ask that not just rhetorically. I mean, look, you can agree with the doctor, you can disagree with him. You could think that the school boards know better than the parents, and if they say the kids got to wear masks, then they should wear masks. You can think that, hey, no, I'm a parent, I should be able to decide whether I send my kids to school with a mask or not. I don't care about, you know, where you come down on that. But should you lose your job in this country for, as a medical professional, saying, hey, I, the science on this mask stuff doesn't make sense to me, and I think parents should have the right to make this decision. 855-616-1620. I think this is the scary thing, that we're now at a point where, I mean, I hate to use the phrase cancel culture, because I think this is more significant than just canceling somebody. This is, we're, we're going to take away your livelihood because you had the audacity to express an opinion contrary to whatever the group think is, regardless of, of your own experience. 855-616-1620. This, to me, is scary. And it should be, at least in my opinion, scary to anybody moving forward, regardless of where you are on this particular COVID issue, because if this is now the, the rule, you get on the wrong side of what the experts say or what you know we're, we're told that we have to think and, and not only are your ideas going to be ignored all right because there's nothing that says the school board has to go along and, and buy what this guy says but you voice this contrary opinion and you're going to lose your job 855-616-1620 we discuss jeff wagner on wtmj okay if you're just tuning in here's the story the guy's name is jeffrey horak He's a, a surgeon in a small community. It's called Fergus Falls in western Minnesota. He shows up at a school board hearing at the request of several of his patients, and he testifies against this mask mandate that the school board is putting in. He says, look, I I, I think, first of all, I'm not sure the science supports this, in my opinion, and secondly, I, I think parents should have the right to make these sort of health care decisions for themselves. All right, agree with him, disagree with him, that, that, that's fine. He was fired by the hospital for voicing this opinion, for daring to show up 
and say, look, I'm here, I'm a physician, I question this rule. Now, people from the community are starting to rally around him. You know, one of the the stories I'm looking at, one of the the people said, you know, this is America, and I don't think people should be punished with losing their job for exercising their right to free speech. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, And I... I agree. We are in scary, scary territory. If now, if you want to stand up and voice questioning, especially if you're a physician and you're saying, look, I just don't think the science necessarily supports what you're saying, school board, and I think it should be up to parents. All right, you can disagree with him. Maybe he's dead wrong on this, but this is going to cost you your job if you try to articulate that. Let's start with Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hi. It's nice to see talk to you again. Um, I have two points. First of all, I can't imagine the hospital has just oodles of general surgeons, and they're just, you know, firing him has got to be a problem mm-hmm. for them. And I, I think that was, you know, they're biting off, you know, something, right. and they're not going to be able to fix that. But second of all, they're going against his right, he didn't mention anything that the hospital, you know, approves this or disapproves it. It was his own personal thought as a physician, and yeah. he has that right to say something, and they have no right to fire him because of it. Do I agree with it? You know, maybe, maybe not, but he has that right to say something, and they should not have fired him. I I agree. Thanks for calling. I mean, it's not like he shows up and says, I am representing the official policy of of this medical group or or whatever. He says, look, I'm, I'm a physician. I've been a physician for 16 years. Many of you know me. This is how I see this issue. And, and the idea, I guess I just find it scary in, in the United States of America that you can lose your livelihood because you, you don't give in to the group think without discussing the merits of, of the issue. But you, you can't even show up and in a civil way. I mean, it's again, if, if the guy had showed up and he's screaming and saying, Hey, if you impose this, you know, we're going to come out and firebomb your house or we're going to lead him up. That's not it. He just says, look, this is, this is my feeling on this issue as somebody who has been in this community for the last 16 years and practiced medicine for however long. I, you, you can't even say that anymore without fear of losing your job. Let's talk to John in West Dallas. John, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I was just uh, telling um, your screener that I'm old enough to remember when you would lose your job for not supporting the war on terror. So, you know. It's, it's your turn. <laughs> okay, so, so you think it's right? You think it's right the guy got I, fired? No, it's not right. But also, I mean, if you're, I, I know plenty of doctors who have quack ideas also. Just because you have a degree doesn't mean you're really the smartest, you know. Well, sure. Well, but I guess, I guess yeah. the, the question is, but doesn't... I mean, I, I don't know if this is a quack idea or not, but but okay. So so he's so he's wrong. Let let's say the guy's wrong. Does that mean that you lose your job for going? A lot, look, a lot of people don't think school boards should be imposing mask requirements. That that it's I don't know. If it's fair to say it's a quack idea. A lot of people would agree with him. But right or wrong, does it mean you should lose your job because you go and you say, "Hey, I just don't think this is right based on my experience." Um, well, it is an at-will work state, especially in Wisconsin's 
you don't really need a reason to give fire. Well, no, really. th- right. You're right. No, thank Thanks. This isn't John. You're, you're right. It's, I, I don't, I don't know if he had an employment contract or, or whatever, you know, a lot of times these doctors do, but, but yeah, th- to me, this isn't a question of does the hospital have the right to do it? This is this larger issue that we discuss a lot of times, which is, is it the right thing to do? And for everybody out there say, yeah, they should have gotten rid of him. You know, I can't believe he doesn't think everybody should wear masks all the time or whatever. All right. Th- just, just understand that is this the new standard? Because it, right now, the, the hospital system in this case came for this particular doctor. But next time you feel strongly about an issue, you see something that's going on in your community and you think it's wrong and, and you want to voice your opinion on this. Okay, you know, and then your employer says, well, don't you understand? The conventional wisdom says, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And you're saying, you know, ABC, how dare you say ABC, you're going to lose your job because you're not going along with the rest of the crowd. That's the scary thing about what's going on in America nowadays. Will the guy get another job? Absolutely. No question about it. Will the hospital try to find another surgeon? Yeah, they're, they're going to have to do that. But but this could happen to anybody, and that's why I find it to be an interesting and a scary story. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, during yesterday's program, we, we had a conversation about... The, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, if you haven't been keeping track of it, Kyle Rittenhouse goes on trial. The trial with jury selection is supposed to start on, on Monday. And, of course, Kyle Rittenhouse is the then 17-year-old young man who is charged with two counts of homicide and, and one count of causing um, severe bodily injury but through use of a, of a weapon. He's the guy that showed up at the protests on the third night of the protests, riots, whatever you want to call them, in Kenosha. And it ended up, uh, by everybody's own admission, it's on videotape, you know, shooting three people. Two were killed. One was severely injured. He's now on trial for this. It, it's a case that's getting, of course, national, actually international attention. And as, as I said yesterday, I, I have a real strong feeling, having you know been a prosecutor for a long time, normally... Normally, I'm able to give you a pretty solid prediction of, of how I think a case is going to turn out unless something really weird happens. This is a case where, candidly, I don't I don't know how it's going to play out. Um, there's very, very strong passions on both sides. There's a number of people, and for example, I heard this from both texts and phone calls yesterday. Well, he, he shouldn't have been there, and he shouldn't have had a gun. Okay, and, and that that's all well and good. But that that doesn't make you guilty. That doesn't mean if you are attacked and you have a legitimate right to use self-defense, that that doesn't mean that you can't use the self-defense defense. The flip side of it is, all right, if you're there and you're somewhere that maybe you shouldn't have been and you've got the gun and people are like confronting you, that doesn't automatically give you a right to kill them. So it's... I think in many respects, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out. One of the interesting things is going to be, you know, does Rittenhouse testify? My guess is it's tough to sell a self-defense 
theory to a jury uh, unless you do testify. But, of course, defendants in this country are under no obligation to testify, and it's innocent until proven guilty. Don't know how the whole thing is going to play out. If he does hit the witness stand, you, you know it's just it's just going to be a free-for-all with all sorts of things. So I don't know how this case is going to turn out. I, I do, and there's a story in the Chicago Tribune today, I, I do know that regardless of how this turns out, there's going to be a lot of people who are dissatisfied with, with the result. If he's acquitted, there's going to be people who are angry and think he got away with murder. If he's convicted, there's going to be people who think that he was unjustly convicted. I, I do know this. And I know authorities in Kenosha are kind of a little bit on edge on this. If they learn nothing from what happened in August of 2020, I think hopefully they will be prepared you know, for any eventuality, because I, I do think regardless of what the verdict is, there are going to be very, very strong feelings. And just like in Minneapolis, after the, you know, verdict in the, the killing of uh, the George Floyd case, you know, you had authorities that were prepared for anything and, and thankfully nothing happened. But, you know, if I were to give one piece of advice to Kenosha authorities, it would be, you know, better safe than sorry and understand that regardless of how this turns out, innocent or uh, not guilty or guilty, you, you understand that there's going to be some really strong feelings and you need to be ahead of this to prevent a repeat of the circumstances that you saw that led to this whole mess back in August of 2020. But the case, it's interesting as well because of a number of the rulings that the, the judge has made. Now, the judge in this case is actually, his name is Bruce Schrader, and he's the longest serving current judge in Wisconsin. He was appointed to the circuit court bench in Kenosha by Tony Earl in 1983. Tony Earl, remember there's Tony Earl for one term. Then there was Tommy Thompson for three and a half terms. Then there was Scott McCallum. Then there was Jim Doyle. Then there was Scott Walker. Then there was Tony Evers. Well, this, this judge, Bruce Schrader, has been on the bench, you know, since Tony Earl back in 1983. He is, Somewhat controversial, but I, you, you want to take that with a grain of salt because if you're if you're a judge for for decades and decades and decades, you know, going on forty years, you're going to make rulings and you know you, that are going to be controversial. That's just kind of the nature of, of the business, and you know you're going to get reversed from time to time. That's also the nature of the business. So you know he, he's he, he gets some attention for that, but he's getting a lot of attention for something he did yesterday that candidly. I'm not sure I understand, and I definitely don't think I agree with. Now, I think as a general rule, in his pretrial rulings, Judge Schrader has done a pretty good job. Matter of fact, I think he saved the prosecution from itself because I think the prosecution has made some requests that if he would have granted them, they would have been, they would have created what we call the potential for reversible error. In other words, you get the conviction, but because of the rulings, you know, you're going to have to defend it. You might lose it on appeal, which is the last thing you want as a prosecutor. You don't, you don't want to get a conviction and then have it reversed on appeal. And in my opinion, some of the things the prosecution has been asking for over the course of the last year, if they had gotten their way, it, it, it flirted with reversible error, which you, again, you never want. But, but here's the deal. Yesterday, they're arguing about terminology, and I'm a big believer that, that people should be free to try their cases, 
And, you, you know, the, the judge really shouldn't go out of his way to try to limit, like, terms and things like that. So what happens is Rittenhouse, his defense, what they want to do is, is that the people that were shot by Rittenhouse, they want to, if it comes up in the course of the trial, they want to refer to the people who were shot by terms like, you know, looters or rioters or arsonists. What I would say is loaded terms. Now, there's not necessarily any evidence that the people that were shot were involved in looting or rioting or arson, but it's more like to create, and what the defense wants to do is create the general impression that that this was chaos and that it all fits in with the theory of self-defense. And the judge said, look, I'm, I'm going to let the defense try its case. I'm going to let the defense refer to the people who were, were shot by Rittenhouse. He, he can refer to the people that were out there that night. I'm not going to stop him from using those terms. And and I think that's probably the right thing to do. Defense should be willing and have the ability to, again, present its case. And if that's how they want to refer to people, that that's fine. You you run a backlash because if I'm the prosecutor, I'm going to be, now what evidence do you have that this victim or that victim or somebody else was a rioter or a looter or an arsonist? But, but that's a risk the defense takes. Okay, fine. So the judge allows Rittenhouse in the defense to use those what I would describe as loaded terms trying to characterize the victims. And you do it because it all plays into the idea of self-defense. The prosecution then turns around and they want to do what I just did. They want to say, well, when we're presenting our case, we want to refer to the people who were shot by Rittenhouse as being victims. Right? They were victims of Rittenhouse's actions. Now, I would argue that the term victim as used by the prosecution, is a lot less loaded and a lot less prejudicial than rioters, looters, arsonists. The judge, though, says, look, I'm one of the few judges in the state that feel this way, but I will not allow the prosecution to use the term victim to describe the people that Rittenhouse shot. And as you might expect, this is creating a, a huge Backlash. I mean, for example, there's a piece in USA Today. We talk a lot. Of, okay, headline: Kyle Rittenhouse shot his victims, but we can't call them that. What kind of justice system is this? We talk a lot. This is the first paragraph. We talk a lot about the tenets of the American justice system: the right to due process, the presumption of innocence in all criminal proceedings. We uphold the Constitution as the principle of the law of the land until we don't. Kenosha County Circuit Judge Bruce Schrader has decided that those who were shot by Rittenhouse cannot be called victims until or if he is convicted of a crime. Um, Yet two of Rittenhouse's victims, yes, I'm calling them that, are dead. Um, They can be referred to as looters, rioters, or arsonists in open court. Never mind that these victims, that word again, were never convicted or even charged of actual looting the night they might be shot. Then it goes on to talk about how, you know, they are, in fact, victims, and that's the prosecution strategy, and it's going to be to portray these people who were shot as victims of Rittenhouse. Now, you may disagree with that, but shouldn't the prosecution have the right to present its case and refer to the people who were, 
I don't know, victims of the behavior of Rittenhouse, shouldn't they be able to call him that? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I think this judge has been, he's really helped the prosecution avoid creating reversible error. And I don't have a lot of, a lot of beef with a lot of his rulings, but this one, this one just strikes me as absolutely bizarre. And if I was the prosecutors in this case, I, I'd be going through the roof saying, what do you mean? You're going to tell me that we can't refer to people who we allege were murdered by this guy? We can't call them victims? I've never heard of anything like this. 855-616-1620. Does it seem fair to you that the prosecution, that the, the people who were shot can be called rioters and looters and arsonists, and yet... The people who were shot also can't be referred to as victims. 855-616-1620. To me, it's just flat out bizarre. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. You do want to be listening to this program next week when this trial kicks off because we will be discussing it and I'll be offering my analysis. And and I say that because, okay, during the break, Dozens and dozens of texts that are coming in, and, and I want to talk about the term victim, but but we can't have that conversation. It's very apparent to me that we are, just like on so many things, we are we are just so incredibly polarized on, on this, and there are, uh, for example, this, this is on the one side, and this is representative of a number of texts I'm getting. Jeff, everyone saw the video. The people who were shot clearly attacked Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse. That caused the reaction. There's no way they can be victims. If anything, they were victims of their own poor choice. And then we have the flip side of this, which is, you know, how can you call them rioters or looters or arsonists when there was no evidence that any of them were involved in rioting or looting or or arson? And yet you're going to allow them to do it. And I bring this up just because it it is just incredible to me how polarized people are on, on this particular issue, which is one of the reasons going back to how we started this conversation. I, I just, however this turns out, people are not going to be happy. And, and that's why I hope moving forward, look, I hope cooler heads prevail and I hope nothing comes of it. But Kenosha authorities, when there, there's a verdict announced, they, they better be prepared because some people, regardless of which side you're on, some people are, are not going to take this well. And so hopefully nothing will happen, but better safe than sorry. My My point is that Maybe you view Rittenhouse as the victim here, which is what some people are suggesting. Maybe you you think he was the aggressor. My point is, I, I think prosecution and the defense should be allowed to try their case. In the view of the prosecution, Rittenhouse was not engaging in self-defense. He shot people without justification, and they were, in fact, victims. My argument is the prosecution should be able to refer to them. That's their theory. They should be able to call them victims. And is that somewhat prejudicial? Well, okay, maybe. But I think calling them victims is is less prejudicial, for example, than implying that the people who were shot were were rioters or looters or arsonists or, or whatever. My point would be, if you're going to let the defense try its case, you also got to let the government, the state in this case, try its case as well. That's why I think the ruling is is 
bizarre in the extreme. If you're going to let people use loaded terms like rider or looter or arsonist, then again, I think the defense gets the right to try its case and present its theory. But to handcuff the prosecution in presenting its theory in that fashion by the words it can use, that's where I think it's it's wrong. Uh, Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. Uh, the, the problem I have is that the judge said this is the way he rules in his court. My point is, is as long as he's been on the bench and all the cases he's probably been before him, that he's never allowed the prosecution or the defense to use the word victim. It, it, it seems strange to me yeah. at this point in time that he, that he that he brings this out and makes this ruling. It, it, and and it, like you said, it doesn't make sense if you're allowed to to basically defame the, 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 what right. I call the victims in this case. You know, why, there why you use that word again, Vincent. That you, you, you use the word victim again <laughs> right there, yeah. But, but right, that's the prosecution's yeah. theory, that they were the victims of this, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so I, I, if I was the prosecution, I'd be looking back at a couple of his cases and see if he's ever ruled this way before. But the fact is, the cases, I think they're going to be going to court in that next week, so I know they may not have the opportunity to do right. that, but it seems strange to me that why would you use this? It's, it's so innocent, you know, and, and it's at the face of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm i trying to think. Now, I, I probably, now I was in federal court, not state court, but I mean, I, I probably in my career tried, tried over a hundred criminal cases, and it never occurred to me, nor do I think it occurred to any of the judges I practiced in front of to stop me from referring to somebody as as a victim. They're, they're, you know, the, the defendant is alleged to be guilty. And, and my theory was the defendant, OK, he, he victimized people. You stole money from somebody. They're a victim. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, yeah, I mean, I would use that term regularly. It just it, it's just a bizarre ruling to me, I guess. And it just. It invites controversy that, candidly, I think is so unnecessary, given how just given how everybody's on their last nerve when it comes to this case. Why? Why throw fuel onto the fire? Exactly. Exactly. And I, 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 I don't understand it. Uh, and so I hope it doesn't come back and haunt him, haunt him in the future. But uh, this is a strange ruling to me. It is. No, thank, thanks for the call again. And it's, you know, and, and I, I say this, I, I think, as I said at the start, I think in general, the judge's pretrial rulings have been pretty good. I don't think I've seen anything that screams reversible error here. You, you want to let the sides try their case. You, you, you want to you want to allow the sides to present their theories. The prosecution, I think, should be given great leeway to demonstrate why this was what, what they say it was, which was first degree intentional homicide and there wasn't any justification. And I think in fairness, you've got to allow the defense to present its arguments about you know why it believes that this is a legitimate example of self-defense. I, I honestly I don't know how this case will ultimately pan out. And and by the way, I, I wouldn't nec- I don't want to even until I've heard the evidence and how this all plays out, I, I, I don't want to give any predictions. But I could also see a situation where th- this ends up being like a split verdict where maybe maybe they find that it was a legitimate exercise of self-defense in one shooting, but not in others. Those are all within the realm of possibility. But 
it's people are, are very, very worked up over this. And this particular ruling, which is now getting national attention and is making people really focus on the judge and, and ask all sorts of questions like, why would you why are you the guy that's that's pro- prohibiting this one word? Candidly. If I was the prosecutor, I'd be asking those same questions going, what are you talking about? We're, we're, the trial is going to be about, you know, people, you know, being shot. Our theory is they were murdered in cold blood. The defense theory is that they were, you know, there for improper purposes and they were threatening the guy. I mean, and, and you're worried about the use of the term victim because you think that's prejudicial? Huh. All right. A lot of stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Melissa Barkley, before you leave, I might have asked you this before. Did you ever smoke cigarettes? I never smoked cigarettes. Okay, there was one time maybe when I was... 18 when I tried one right, and I didn't right, like it. Right, yeah. yeah I, I, right, okay. <laughs> never I mean, smoked, though, yeah. Right, no, but you were never a regular smoker. No, okay, huh? got it. Well, that, that that's I think that's good. I think it's you, great. I, yeah. I think it's good. Now, I, I was thinking about this because, um, you know, every every month for, gosh, the last 10 plus years, probably longer than that, we do these features we call everyday health features. And I have an opportunity to chat with a, a doctor from um, Freighter Medical College. And we, we, ta- we tape those in advance. And we taped the one yesterday, we, we taped the one that's going to air in November, and it, the subject was lung disease. I was talking to a doctor who specializes in treatment of lung disease, and I, I don't know that it's going to make it into what we, we end up playing on the air, but we were just talking afterwards, after the interview about this, and I, I said, Doc, I'm really curious, of the people you treat for various lung diseases, lung cancer and other, you know, other lung issues. I, I said, you know, what percentage would you say are people who smoke cigarettes? And he said, I, I was stunned. He said 90 to 95 percent. Really? 90 to 95 percent. I mean, I know you can get lung cancer and not have ever smoked. And, and this so isn't just, right, hearing that. Right. And this, this isn't just cancer, but it's emphysema. You know, sure, it's, it's sure, all COPD. the various. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And he, he said, you know, and he, he said, you know, that. That truthfully, if if there were not cigarettes, if nobody smoked cigarettes, he said, I'd probably be out of business. I mean, you know, there, there you could still get it right. There, there's there's genetic issues and there's things like that. But in general, for people who end up with serious lung disease that need to be treated, cancer or otherwise, almost everybody, you, you can trace it to cigarette smoking, which I just found to be. I guess not necessarily surprising, but I found to be amazing. Well, I think that's a very high percentage. And I think for people, if that's not, you know, incentive to either a quit or Don't never, start. never start, even vaping, too. I think a lot of kids are fooled by that. Um, you right. know, same results. Right. Which is is the lead off point for what I, I want to talk to you about, because for the first time looking at a story in the business section of The Wall Street Journal today, for the first time in 20 years cigarette sales rose in 2020. Cigarette sales actually rose, and that's for the first time in 20 years. Um, Now, I understand it it was COVID. I understand that uh, people had the pressures of COVID, um, less things to spend disposable income on because we weren't traveling, we weren't going out to restaurants, etc. But here's the way the story reads. Americans purchased more cigarettes last year for the first time in 20 years. The number of cigarettes purchased by wholesalers and retailers rose to 203.7 billion 
from 202.9 billion in 2019. So the, the numbers went up. And, and I, again, I think part of it is probably due to, to the pandemic. But, but here's, here's the big picture of this. In 2019, which is the last year I can find numbers for, nearly 14 of every 100 U.S. adults aged 18 or older, so 14%, currently smoked cigarettes. What this means is that there's an estimated 34 million adults in the U.S. who currently smoke cigarettes. And they estimate that more than 16 million Americans live with a smoking-related disease. So it And again, these numbers are approximate, but what they say is about 34 million adults, okay, smoke. Almost half of them are living with some disease, which is attributable to smoking. Now, I understand that there are some people who would say, I I know somebody or I smoked my entire life. I smoked for 50 years, never had any sort of problem at all. And, and, And maybe that's true, but... The vast majority of people who do develop problems, the one thing that causes this is smoking. And it's not just lung disease. I, that's one of the things that always strikes me about when, when I do these monthly interviews with the various doctors and we start talking about risk factors for things. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's bad backs or, or you name it, it. It's, well, you know, what can somebody do to lessen their risk? of developing X, Y, and Z. And I would say most times, one of the first things that doctors will say is, well, if you smoke, don't smoke, because it's just it's just flat out not good for you. On top of it, it's it's really expensive now. Now, I don't know, I mean, what, what does a pack of cigarettes cost nowadays? Like seven bucks or so if you're gonna buy it individually? I mean, my, my producers are shrugging, so you don't know either. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it's it's expensive and it's really, really bad for you, which is the launching point for what I want to talk with you about next. I understand it is incredibly addictive. And and I guess maybe I see that if for somebody who years and years ago, before we knew that smoking was as bad for you as it is, you know, somebody, okay, well, I didn't realize it was that bad, so I started smoking, and, and now I'm just hopelessly addicted, and I've tried to quit, and I just, I can't. Okay, so I, I understand that. But but for the people that have made the decision to start smoking in the last five years or 10 years or even 20 years, I confess I, I don't get it. And one of the things that really boggles my mind is, especially around here, when you, you know, you're walking into the restaurant or the bar and there, there's people, especially in the winter, but in the summer as well, people, you know, are gathered around the door and they're, they're smoking because you can't smoke inside anymore. And they're, they're huddled together and they're, they're smoking cigarettes. And a lot of times I will notice it is people who I would describe as relatively young people. A lot of times it's what I would describe as, as young women. I mean, women, you know, 20 year old women, you know, 25 year old women, which to me is, is a young woman, you know, that, that are huddled outside smoking and I'm sitting there thinking my, my gosh what what is it that at your age knowing what we know about cigarettes and knowing the expense and all the other things why is it that people would start smoking in today's day and age our number 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line and, and this isn't about you know should we ban cigarettes this isn't about berating people if you've chosen to smoke cigarettes other than the fact that I just 
I admit, I do not understand it. It's unquestionably really, really bad for you. It's really, really expensive. It's really, really addictive. And, you know, candidly, there's, there's all sorts of undesirable things about the habit. By that, I mean, you know, your car smells like an ashtray. Your, your clothes smell like ashtrays. Your house smells like an ashtray. 855-616-1620. I am legitimately curious. Why is it that people still smoke cigarettes knowing everything we know in October of 2021. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and if you're a smoker, I'd be particularly interested in hearing from you. And I'm not going to beat you up on your decision to to smoke. I understand. You know, you're you're a grown-up. You make that call. I just, I'm legitimately confused as to why people do that. We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm sure one day on my deathbed, I will regret smoking. I, however, I'm addicted. I also enjoy smoking. I think that we'll all die one day of something or another, and why not enjoy our time here on Earth? If that includes a cigarette with my coffee, so be it. Well, I respect that. I guess I know we're all going to die someday. I guess I just don't want to go before I end up having to. But I, I appreciate that sentiment. I have a friend who quit smoking decades ago, but says to this day, he still misses it. He, he just, and he says pretty much the same thing. If he's ever told he's got a terminal disease and he's got like two weeks to live, he, he's going back. He said he just loved having a cigarette after, after a meal and to this day misses it. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Troy in Door, in Door County. Hi, Troy. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, I know a couple of texters said that they enjoy it with their cup of coffee, which I've never, never been addicted to something like that, so I don't know what it's like to just cold turkey, you know. But I, I just do not understand it. Uh, and you talked about the, the people who are at a bar or somebody in the, in the wintertime when they're outside. Yeah. How about I've seen, I seen people at, at uh, health clinics, <laughs> or a dialysis center, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and lastly, Jeff, to the young ladies of the world who smoke, there's not many many things besides uh, uh, someone who's smoking that is just a turn off to me. So yeah, uh, I don't know. Just some of my thoughts on no, it. No, I appreciate uh, it. No, thanks I'm, to Coach. No, I, I get it. No, I mean now now a couple of people are texting me saying the the, the attraction that smoking has to young females is that it's an appetite suppressant. So, you know, they're worried about, you know, gaining five pounds, so you smoke instead. Um, Let's see, Jeff, I started smoking about 35 years ago as a result of my military experience. This has proven to be one of the worst, to be the worst mistake I've ever made. It is incredibly expensive now, and as such, the stigma with you, you really do feel out of place most everywhere you go. My suggestion to anyone that can, either never start or quit now. The amount of health issues related to it, it doesn't get easier. Easier the older you get. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I'm I'm this isn't this isn't, you know, Dr. Jeff lecturing you if you make the decision to smoke. It is a legitimate curiosity because 
you know, even at 14%, and that's down. At, at its height, I think, you know, maybe you had like 20 plus percent of the population that smoked. But, I mean, it's down. But even at 14 or 15 or 16%, that's still a lot of people that are smoking cigarettes. And, by the way, a couple of people are texting me saying, well, fast food is bad for you as well. Yeah, fast food is bad for you, too. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we do. Drinking beer, you can argue, is bad for you. But I think it's tough to say, you, you know, I mean, stuff like I don't know, drinking beer or, you know, eating fast food in some degree of moderation. I don't know that that for most people is going to have the health impact that, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes every day is going to. Uh, let's see. Ryan in Kenosha. Hi, Ryan. You're on WTMJ. Uh, thanks, Jeff. I uh, I just called in. You know, I'm a younger guy, 27. I started when I was probably 20 smoking. And for me, it was a construction site. That's what started me. A lot of the older guys were smoking. And once you start smoking, I, I will admit it's it, – takes the edge off a little bit, you know, of uh-huh. a stressful day with a lot of physical work. Um, that's my story. Um, why did you quit? Or, or did you quit? Have you quit? Well, so I guess you could say I graduated to the vape now. Now I'm on the vape pen. So one step at a time for me, you know. Got it. Okay. Well, th- thanks. I, I mean, I, again, it's, yeah, that, that's one step. Of, and th- that's the thing. You know, once you, you get that addiction, I know it's it's difficult to kind of, you know, end up kicking the habit, which uh, if, if you remember the old TV show that they had, uh, uh, Mad Men, I mean, which was like set in the 60s. And that was the thing where, where everybody smoked and it was commonplace and maybe you didn't, um, you know, really appreciate the significance of it. Jeff, uh, this is a hot topic with me. My wife smokes. It bothers me so much. She says that she just can't quit. Um, I, I think there's, um, I think there's it. Jeff, in regard to the smoking discussion, I'm certain that the rise is from vaping starting, um, in the teenagers and young adults. Well, that, that's an element too. Keep in mind, we've talked about this before. Also, one of the things the Biden administration is looking at doing is they are looking, um, at having the FDA banning menthol cigarettes. Um, which is about a third of all cigarettes sold in the U.S. and, menthol cigarettes are disproportionately smoked by persons of color. I don't know why, but that's just what the reality of this is. Menthol cigarettes are also viewed kind of as a gateway because they've got this flavor to them, and so they're less harsh than the tobacco. So they're they're kind of like a gateway to getting young people in. So that's what the Biden administration is considering doing. But, you know, regardless, that still means there's people who are smoking. Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, Hi. Listen, I know that there are a lot of people who um, think that they're going to die from something anyway, but I had a beautiful, wonderful sister-in-law die from emphysema. It took her a long time. She carried along the oxygen for years on end, and I can tell you that I was with her the day she died, um, and I would be happy to explain to somebody how that works, because if you once really see that and hear it and look at it, you're going to realize that your end of life is not going to be um, very much right. fun. Right, yeah, we we all have to go sometimes in some ways, but you don't want to go sooner than you have to, and you don't want to go in a more difficult fashion than you otherwise have to. Oh, yeah, it was heart-rending. <laughs> yeah, no, and thanks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss, uh, Jeff. I'm a healthcare provider. The response from the person who says, "Well, you have to die of something," always irritates me because people don't often don't die immediately from smoking, and then they come to the medical provider to to fix them when they can't breathe. I end up, um, you know, shaking my head about this, Jeff. I started smoking when I was 18 in the military. I quit smoking 11 years ago. Smoked for 30 years. 
I don't miss it. I will never, ever smoke again. Um, right. You know, it, it's just, um, I, I don't know. And, I, and I, again, I, I voice this not to lecture people who are smoking. That's not what my role is to do. And I do understand for some people that smoke their entire life that they, they really enjoy it. I just, this is one where I saw this story that said that the number of cigarettes, you know, actually went up for the soul, actually went up for the first time in 20 years. Yeah, you can maybe blame it on COVID and the pandemic and things like that. And there's all sorts of reasons for it. But I, I do hope it's it's not part of an increasing trend because I would think that maybe we could all agree that regardless of how you feel about cigarette smoking and whether you're a cigarette smoker yourself, I think we could probably all agree that it's probably it's it's probably a good thing that more people aren't starting to smoke cigarettes. Just saying. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.